0: Blue With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. The- Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, handsome, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him, touchdown Lions. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. Hopefully, you enjoyed yesterday's episode with Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. Tomorrow, we'll have John Keim from ESPN, who covers the Washington football team, on the show to break down Washington and Detroit. But today, since it is the midpoint of the season, instead of doing five keys, we are going to dive into the Lions roster and kind of break it down position by position at the midway point, kind of what we've liked, what we haven't liked. And then at the back end of that, we will get to some more of your questions from earlier in the week. So let's just jump right into it today before we get into this. Exactly. Just a couple of quick housekeeping things when it comes to the Lions. Matthew Stafford finally headed home from isolation on Wednesday. That's really good news as he has been away from his family for too long. Obviously, the reason is valid. Close contact with COVID. Concerns there. You want to make sure he's safe. You want to make sure the family's safe. So He was away for a while, but I would imagine that as he said, it's going to be really nice to sleep in his own bed on Wednesday night. I would imagine it's going to also be really nice for him to be around his wife, Kelly, and their daughters, especially after Hunter, their two-year-old, fell last week. So I would imagine it'll be a pretty pretty nice night in the Stafford household on Wednesday night. Kerryon Johnson also talked to the media on Wednesday. Thought he was pretty open about kind of how the Lions have handled their running backs. He said, finally... They have a running back by committee. It's something he's waited for a little bit, something he's been excited about. And that's accurate. It's not just because of the role he has now. He even said that last year because I remember he and I talked about Bo Scarborough and he was super pumped that Bo was there because it was going to take some workload off of him. And listen, I think at this point, everyone knows that on Johnson, even though he's not getting the ball much this year, and we'll get into that a little bit in the running back portion of this, that He's a guy that was never going to be a 20-25 carry guy. That's just really, I don't think how he's built. And even if you listen to him talk on Wednesday, he said that he played seven games last year. He actually played eight. And he was exhausted. And he wasn't getting 20-25 carries. He was getting about 14 carries a game at that point. So you look at that. And to me, I think you kind of say, okay, well, that's where he is now. Maybe looking will him more carries down the road, but we shall see. So let's just jump in, and we will start with the quarterbacks when it comes to the midseason grades. Obviously, David Blau, he's just kind of on the roster. Not really anything much you can say about him. Clearly, he's a developmental guy, and you kind of go from there. Chase Daniel played in one game prepped all of last week to be the starter, ended up getting in, completed eight of 13 passes, 94 yards, touchdown and interception. Uh, listen, Chase Daniel's going to give you what he gives you, right? I mean, that's you're hoping if you're the Lions that you don't have to play with Chase Daniel. Obviously, the main person to look at is Matthew Stafford. And let's just be honest, Matthew Stafford hasn't had the best year. There, there's no question about that he's far off his pace from last season when at this point was when he got hurt and his season ended. So let's just look at that because obviously this is the easiest comparison to make. The Lions are basically in the same spot last year, three, four and one, this year, three and five. But let's look at Stafford's numbers. Stafford completed 64.3% of his passes in 2019. This year, 62.6% of his passes. Last year at this point, Stafford threw for 2,499 yards. This year, Stafford's thrown for 2,127 yards. Last year at this point, Stafford threw 19 touchdowns. This year, 14. Last year, he had five interceptions at this point. This year, seven, including three in the last two weeks. His interception percentage of 2.5%. That's the highest percentage of basically since 2013. So you're talking about the entirety of the Jim Caldwell era and the Matt Patricia era. He's throwing more interceptions per pass attempt. First down, last year 117. At this point, this year 106. Yards per attempt, down almost a full yard from 8.6 to 7.7. Yards per completion, down over a full yard from 13.4 to 12.2. His yards per game is massively down from 312.4 last year, which which was actually his best number since 2011 when he threw for 5,000 yards, to 265.9. 265.9 is among the lowest of his career basically since the 2011 season because that's when you really start judging Matthew Stafford since 2009 and 2010 were really injury-plagued that the only number that's worse in there so far in his career was in 2018 when he threw for 236.1 yards per game throughout the full season. His quarterback rating down from 106 last year to 92.4. His QBR down from 74.7 to 62.9. His sacks are up. Took 18 last year at this point. Took 21 this year at this point. Basically, everything is just kind of, Not really working. The only thing that he's, frankly, done better so far this year is he's had more game winning drives. He said two last year compared to two this year compared to one last year, and he's had the same amount of fourth quarter comebacks. That's it, which was two each. That's it. Other than that, Matthew Stafford has put up worse numbers this year than last year. Now, sure, some of that has to do with the lack of candy Galladay for three of those five games and it drastically changes the offense. Some of it has to do with teams playing too high safety a lot. And Matt Matthew Savage talked about this, that he's gonna take what defenses give him and if they're gonna continually cut off the big shots, he's gonna be fine dinking and dunking down the field to try and wear down opponents. Now, that's something that is partially what the lions i guess are trying to do although daryl bevel has said he wants to take more shots if it's there but it's also much more in line with if you remember how the lions played under jim caldwell and really what jim caldwell did was he basically if you remember almost deconstructed matthew stafford's entire game to reconstruct it again to make him a better quarterback and Turn him from that, you know, kind of gunslinger down the field quarterback that he was really early in his career when he had Calvin Johnson, to kind of the quarterback we've seen lately where he's got higher completion percentages, making smarter throws, making better decisions, fewer interceptions, shorter passes or happy passes. Like that's more of what we've seen this year. And you thought maybe Daryl Bevel would have come in and been a happier marriage between the two. But so far, and that's what it was last season. This season, it just hasn't been there. And, I mean, the numbers all across the board are really down for Matthew Stafford over the last half decade. I mean, the last time he's completed this few of passes, completion percentage-wise, at 62.6, was in the 2014 season when he completed 60.3% of the passes. But he was learning a new offense that year. That was the year that they really were kind of deconstructing him a little bit and taking him from that down the field, throw the ball all the time mentality into more of a a kind of ball control type guy. And, yeah, it's right now he's on pace for, what, 4,200 yards, which is going to be more than he threw in 18, but really kind of less than than almost any other time. Right now his numbers in some ways are semi-similar other than the interceptions and the touchdowns are a bit up to that 2014 season with Jim Caldwell. Obviously the Lions were much better that season as a team, but that's largely because of their defense as their offense really struggled under Joe Lombardi and you know, kind of that really transitionary season. All of that said, I don't blame everything that the Lions have gone through this year on Matthew Stafford. I think that he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. I think he's forcing things late in games. I think he's made some really Bad decisions late in games, whether it's throwing interceptions. He's throwing two second-half pick sixes. And those were just killers in games against Indianapolis and Green Bay. That basically sealed up both of those games. So it just hasn't gone well. Now, obviously, the big question in the future, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot here in the second half of the season, is what happens with Matthew Stafford after the season. We talked about it a little bit on Wednesday. We're going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow. So we'll save it for those two conversations as I think it's going to be something that by the time the end of the season hits is going to be well, 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 well-worn territory. But right now, Matthew stafford has got eight games to figure out how to get back on the track that he was on last year. There have been flashes here and there. Obviously, the Atlanta game was a game where I thought he played really, really well, and I thought he played pretty well against Jacksonville, although he threw an interception. I thought he was playing okay for a little bit here and there against Indianapolis. And, you know, he played well against Arizona. I thought he had some decent plays against New Orleans. But, I mean, listen, he's thrown interceptions in six of eight games this year. And that's not good. That's just not good at all. The only games he hasn't thrown interceptions in shockingly, wins against Arizona and against Atlanta. And I don't know. They, they need to figure out what they're doing and how to, how to make that work. It'll be interesting to see how he plays against Washington on Sunday as that defensive line is going to really get after him. So looking now at running backs, you know, it, it's interesting. I don't think that this group's been bad by any stretch of the imagination. Their numbers aren't fantastic. But they're clearly just kind of going by committee here. And that's pretty much what you should have expected with Matt Patricia all along. Obviously, the signing of Adrian Peterson. Peterson's been a bit hit and miss. He was really strong early. He's kind of dropped off a bit as the year has gone on. I think he's being put in some instances in very bad situations where he's not being put in situations to succeed. He's got 93 carries, 350 yards, a couple touchdowns. He's averaging 3.8 yards a carry. He's getting by far the most attempts a game of any Lions running back, although some of that is largely kind of skewed towards the work he was getting early in the season. He's at 11.6 attempts per game. So I look at what Adrian Peterson has done, and I think what you're seeing too is they're starting to move away from him a little bit. They're still giving him options but I think he's going to be in the second half of the season very much a game script dependent player how much they use him in the offense if they're up I think you'll see him being used a lot I think you'll see him get used early in games but once they fall behind they're they're starting to go away from him a little bit more and that's in favor of Largely, DeAndre Swift, the rookie second-round pick, who's started to get more and more work as the weeks have gone on. 54 carries, 250 yards, four touchdowns. He's also got 26 catches, 207 yards, and a receiving touchdown. He's averaging the most receptions per game of any Lions running back at 3.3. He's catching 76.5% of his passes. He's He's playing pretty well for a rookie. He's giving you about what you you would have expected or hoped, 4.6 yards per carry. Now, again, he's in a committee approach, so you're maybe not getting the full level of DeAndre Swift, but you're getting what I think you largely expected, an explosive runner who can hit the hole, who's decisive, who can run really devastating routes out of the backfield. He's had a couple issues with, with his hands as far as catching the ball. But as a runner, he's been largely really smart. He's generally, it seems like, picking the right hole, being decisive with that, and trying to get there as much as he can. But, you know, he's only being used in in certain spots. However, the last few weeks, he's gotten by far the largest amount of snap counts and the largest amount of work of the Lions running backs. The third guy in this group is on Johnson. on Johnson... As we've talked about before on this show, as I'm writing about for tomorrow or today as you listen to this, I think he's finally starting to figure out a little bit more of a role. Uh, obviously, he's a pass protector. That's how they've largely been using him. They gave him four carries on a Sunday, which was a good sign for him potentially down the road. But he's getting much less work than he did when he was the lead back the last couple of years. They're kind of using him intermittently. He's gone weeks without carries. He's averaging 3.6 rushing attempts per game. He's got 29 carries, 109 yards, a touchdown. He's averaging 3.8 yards per attempt. So basically the same as Adrian Peterson. To me, and I've talked about this, I don't understand why the Lions run game doesn't go with swift and carry on and kind of phase Adrian Peterson out. I think you're maybe – you started to see that a little bit against the Vikings and I'll be curious to see how they roll with things kind of going forward because I get the sense that they're always going to have some sort of role for Adrian Peterson but I mean I think the combination of Swift and on Johnson probably gives them the best chance overall to win and then Peterson becomes again to me your depend you know game script dependent back if you're up and if you're up you give you give Peterson the ball and that allows the the run game to really kind of see what it can do. We'll be back right after this with a breakdown of the rest of the team as we're rolling through the entire team here on our mid season review here at the Michael Ross. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. And indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people Fast, Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, you only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, you're online. Sportsbook experts. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And now we're going to take a look at wide receivers. This group, another tough group to judge because Kenny Galladay, who's obviously their number one, has been hurt. He's only appeared in five games. He mispracticed again on Wednesday, so it seems like he's trending towards another week of missing games. When he's played, he's been dynamic. There's no question about that. He's one of the best contested, contested catch receivers in the NFL. He's caught 20 of 32 targets, 338 yards. He's got a couple of touchdowns, He's also got a couple of 100-yard games. Interestingly enough, the 100-yard games against Jacksonville and Atlanta, no touchdowns. The games when he didn't have 100 yards, he had touchdowns. He was shut out against Indianapolis but before leaving with a hip injury late in the first half. So it's not clear how bothersome maybe that hip was. He hasn't talked, obviously, since he got hurt. And the Lions, being as they are, have been secretive with his injury. But, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing good things. Out of Kenny Galladay, the big question for him is how much longer he'll be in Detroit as he's in a contract year. Will the Lions franchise tag him? Will they eventually give him a long-term extension? I can't imagine at this point they would let him walk. I'm sure that's going to be a topic here for the second half of the season as well. But you look at his numbers, and they're not quite where they were last year. I'm not even talking about like the raw numbers, right? Because those are going to be nowhere near where they all where they would be but I'm talking about some of the other comparative numbers only 16.9 yards per reception this year compared to 18.3 last year he's only caught you know 16 first downs he's got about the same number of receptions per game 4.1 last year 4.0 this year his yards per game down a little bit 74.4 last year 67.6 this year his catch percentage is actually up 62.5 this year, 56% last year, and his receiving yards per target are up from to 10.6 from 10.3. So the big number there, though, is frankly the catch percentage, and that's because he's winning more of those 50-50 balls than he did in any other season of his career. And you're seeing more growth from him as a receiver. uh, And at this point, frankly, they just got to pay him. I, I don't know what they're what they're doing, why they're messing around there. Marvin Jones. He's kind of largely been what what you've gotten from him in his career, and I know people are, are maybe a little bit frustrated about that, but you know he's he's given you kind of what he does. His production level has been very similar to prior years, and when I say that, at least maybe to last year, even look look at some of the numbers. Last year, twelve point six yards per reception. This year, twelve point three. Last year, nine touchdowns. In 13 games. This year in 8 games. He's got 4. So he's potentially on pace to get there again. His receptions per game are down. From 4.8 to 3.1. His yards per game are down. From 59.9 to 38.5. His catch percentage also down. From 68.1 to 61%. And his yards per target are down as well. But some of that when it comes to the yards per target. Uh, and really even the yards per game. Somewhat has to do also with. Matthew Stafford, as we talked about earlier, not throwing the ball downfield quite as much. They seem to be using Marvin Jones as a complimentary piece, but you see it when he gets the ball. And you saw it maybe Sunday against Minnesota, where he makes a nice move to get into the end zone. He still is a good player. Yes, he's 30 years old. Yes, he's in the final year of his contract. Yes, probably this is the the last eight games of Marvin Jones in Detroit, kind of maybe depending on different situations. Uh, I would imagine he would test the free agent market at the very least. And I mean, I don't know. It, it's an interesting, interesting situation because I think he's just not getting looked at as much. Teams are taking him away a little bit more. But as I said, throughout his entire career, he's had these stretches where he kind of disappears for a few games and then comes up big. And really, the last three games has been in that kind of scenario five catches for 80 yards, no touchdowns against Atlanta. 3 for 39 on 7 on 7 targets but he had two touchdowns against Indianapolis and 3 for 43 against Minnesota but he also had a touchdown there so even if he's not coming up with big time plays i mean the, from a volume perspective he's still scoring touchdowns and you know that's part of what you're judged on as a receiver he's also playing a lot Uh, against the Colts 98% of snaps against the Vikings 95% of snaps 90% of snaps against the Falcons so he's playing in that 90% range at least every week so that to me I think tells you something about where Marvin Jones is Danny Amendola at this point is just kind of going to give you what he gives you there's not a ton to say there to me at least in that you know, he he's an over-the-middle guy. He's not going to be an explosive guy anymore. 25 catches, 401 yards. He's actually leading the Lions in receiving. He's got no touchdowns. He's averaging 50.1 yards per game. He's catching 61% of his passes. Like, you know, Matthew Stafford trusts him. Again, I think as long as Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are here, Danny Amendola can probably come back to Detroit as long as he would want to. But if there is a regime change, I don't know if Danny Amendola will be back in Detroit. But at this point, you know, I can't knock him because this is exactly what you would expect from Danny Amendola. Marvin Hall, I just don't think we've seen enough of, frankly, 20 targets. He's caught 10 of them. But that's while that doesn't sound great, understand a lot of those are deep passes where it has a lot a lower son, lower chance of probability. 197 yards, so he's averaging 19.7 yards per reception. That's what you would expect from a deep threat. One touchdown. I mean, he's just not getting targeted enough. He's not playing enough. Quintus Cephas, I've liked what I've seen from him when he's played, but he just, again, like anyone else, just hasn't gotten a lot of work. Eight catches, 128 yards, 15 targets. He's only played in five games. I think we might see more of him as long as Kenny Galladay remains out and it'll be interesting to see if we see more of him even down the road if the Lions kind of end up out of contention even more so as they maybe try to develop him for the future the other guy obviously is Jamal Agnew and he's more of a returner at this point but I think that they need to find ways to get him a little bit of work to continue to develop him as a receiver because they moved him over there he flashed all throughout camp we know he's got pretty good hands He's got six of nine of his targets, 38 yards, so he's only averaging 6.3 yards per reception, but that's also kind of based off of how they're using him, right? And the way they're using him is it's all short stuff. It's all over the middle stuff. Now, you could see maybe at some point the Lions move away from Amendola and more to Agnew in the slot, but again, that would be taking one of Matthew Stafford's most trusted guys off of the field, and I don't know if they're going to be willing to do that at this point. And again, they're still trying to win games. You know, They're they're still technically in it. So I have a tough time seeing them taking Amendola off the field. But if I were the Lions, I would be giving Jamal Agnew more work than Danny Amendola at this point because I think he offers you more chance for a home run type play. Looking at tight ends, let's talk a bit about TJ Hawkinson. Quickly, Isaac Nata, I don't think he's done enough to really warrant Discussing all that much. He's played in four games. He's kind of, you know, that move tight end a little bit. He's been a blocking tight end. He's caught one pass. Jesse James, he's played more than he's done more than you thought maybe he would. I mean, last year he was a complete ghost of a player this year, seven catches, 85 yards and a touchdown. I think he's disappeared more in the last few weeks. It seemed like they were trying to get him more involved in the offense, trying to get him going, kind of really against Arizona and New Orleans. And then he didn't catch a pass against Atlanta. He caught, he hasn't caught more than one pass, frankly, since that Arizona game where he caught three for 28 in touchdown. So he's just not really being used all that much. It's looking like a really bad signing by Bob Quinn, frankly. But let's talk about TJ Hawkinson because TJ Hawkinson I think has been the most improved player on the offense. I think you're getting exactly what you hoped out of him. If you are the Detroit Lions, he's got 34 catches, which leads the team. He's got 368 360 yards, which is second on the team. He's got five touchdowns, which leads the team. He's a guy that you can use in the intermediate game. He's obviously a red zone threat at this point. Matthew Stafford's very comfortable with him there. He's catching 69.4% of his passes. His numbers are playing out to a very good season. I mean, what you're looking at right now is basically 100 targets for him in the year, and you're getting, what, 68 catches out of that, 720 yards, 10 touchdowns. I think you take that, and sure— you're looking at it a little bit as a number eight pick in the draft, but again, this is just his second year. He will have almost basically doubled up his numbers from last year. You see the flashes. You see the potential for him to be a full-field tight end, for him to be a consistent red zone tight end. The blocking's still getting better as well, and, and you kind of knew that would eventually come because of how he eventually became a good blocker at Iowa, a great blocker at Iowa. And I think what you're seeing is him really round into his game T.J. Hawkinson is going to be a really good asset for Matthew Stafford, whoever ends up playing quarterback here, for the next few years. I think you're really seeing the growth and emergence of a very good player. I I have no complaints with what T.J. Hawkinson has done this year. I think he's doing everything the Lions have asked of him. He even took a challenge, public challenge, and that's rare from this coaching staff, from Daryl Bevel to be more consistent. And then he, guess what? Got more consistent. So if I'm the Lions, I really, really like what I've seen from TJ Hawkinson. Just to give you an example, the last really three weeks, they've gotten him a bit more involved six targets, 10 targets, eight targets, five catches, seven catches, five catches. 59 yards, 65 yards, 39 yards, touchdowns in two of his last three games. And actually, if you really want to extrapolate that out even more, touchdowns in four of his last five games. So he is really finding a way into the offense. They're also putting him on the field basically 75% of snaps at this point. And all of those things are trending in the right direction for TJ Hawkinson. If I'm the Lions, I'm really happy with what I'm getting Looking at the offensive line now, over, you know it's tough to judge these guys individually. Uh, we'll go briefly through through them individually. Taylor Decker is, I think, having the best season of his career. Frankly, I think he's having a Pro Bowl-level season. Granted, I, I, listen, I haven't watched every NFC left tackle. I, I don't get to watch a ton of games, even though the fact that I don't travel now this season, I've been able to see a little bit more football than I usually would. But Taylor Decker has done a great job protecting... Matthew Stafford's blind side he really has he's playing well in the run game he's I don't believe he's allowed a sack he's just doing really really well and he's earning and he's showing frankly why the Lions gave him the contract that they did and I think he's a guy that you know entering the year you you wondered, well are they going to give him a deal and is it what type of deal is it going to be and they gave him a deal, and they gave him a good deal, and frankly, he's, he's played up to that deal. I don't, I don't think anyone can really say at this point that he hasn't, um, and that's, that's a big win for the Lions because now all of a sudden you have your left tackle situation basically locked up for the next half decade through Taylor Decker's prime, and that's one position you just frankly don't need to worry about. As far as just to give you a little bit of numbers here, pass block win rates he's winning 92% of his pass blocks when he's part of a double team and when he's not part of a double team he's still winning 88.9% of his pass blocks he's winning 90% 90.2% overall of his pass blocks as a as a tackle like you you can't get much better than that like he's he hasn't allowed I guess technically he's he's allowed one sack and it was against Arizona, but I believe that was way more of a coverage sack than anything else. But other than that, he's been he's been pretty darn dominant. At left guard, Jonah Jackson. I think he's given you everything that you can ask for as a rookie. Um, I think he's a good find by Bob Quinn. There have still been up and down moments. He's had a couple games where it's been a little bit shaky, frankly. But on the whole, good pick. Good, good player. Frank Ragnell continuing his ascent as one of the best centers in the NFC. Much like Taylor Decker, you wonder if he might get a look at a Pro Bowl berth this year, even though there's no Pro Bowl game. Uh, and I think that that, that could be well-deserved as well. And he's been battling through injuries, as has Decker. You know, So both of those guys have been playing well while they're playing through injuries. So I think overall, what you're looking at are two really strong— that left side of the line, I think overall is a really strong— nucleus of that line of which Bob Quinn has invested so much of his draft capital and so much of his time in trying to build it. And that left side of the line looks really set for potentially a long time. Now, I think the jury is definitely still out on Jonah Jackson, but between Decker and Ragnow, and if Jackson continues to grow, you really have to like what you're getting on that left side of the line. The right side of the line. Well, that's, that's not, not quite as good um right guard's been been a rough situation they've had to rotate a lot of guys in there joe Dahl, halapuli vitae odea boucher that's that's just been kind of a cycle a little bit in large part due to injury and that's that's not great because you want consistency there i actually asked frank ragno about that and he said listen i'm comfortable with all those guys but yeah you you want the same guy to be in there because of communication, because of just kind of understanding and downs. And in some cases he's still learning guys, especially with Vitae a little bit. Like he played some with Abushi, and obviously he's played a bunch with Dahl and, and him and Dahl know each other a bit, you know, are, are pretty good friends. So like that's been a rough spot. I think Joe Dahl, when he's played, has played pretty well, but he just has, he's been hurt. Hasn't played enough uh Vitae has been very very scattershot when he's been in there it's been very hit and miss when he's been a guard and Abushi is is fine I mean he's he's pretty much a replacement level guard and but that's what you would expect from kind of your your fourth lineman obviously they had Kenny Wiggins in there a little bit at one point as well but they since released him at right tackle Tyrell Crosby's done a great job, man. Uh, I, you know, I mean, he, he may not be the best tackle in the world, but as a fifth-round pick, a third-year starter or third-year guy, uh, this is what I thought you would see out of Tyrell Crosby. It's why I had issues with the Vitae signing to begin with because I didn't think he was going to be that much better than Tyrell Crosby, and that's panning out because guess what? Now that Vitae's been healthy-ish, and we're going to play-ish because this foot injury has clearly been a problem for him for most of the year, which makes it a little bit harder to judge how he's really been playing. But Crosby's held up pretty well, I think. Um, You know, there's been a couple games here and there where it hasn't gone particularly well. But when you're a three and five team, I think that's to be expected. So yeah, I mean, I have no issues with the way Tyrell Crosby's playing. I think at some point you probably want to make a decision whether he's your kind of third tackle or whether you think he can really be a a day in day out starter for you in the league and I don't think there's any shame in either one of those situations playing out particularly if he ends up being your swing tackle like I think that's a win for the Lions because he's a guy who's who's been pretty good listen he's won 89.1 percent of his pass blocks in double teams and he's won 74.4 percent of his non-double teams so it was single team pass blocks He's had two sacks, according to ESPN Stats and Info. This is all according to ESPN Stats and Info, all of these offensive line numbers. He's had two sacks attributed to him so far this year. So, I mean, you know, like, you, you, you're you okay with that, I think. I think you really are. And, you know, I mean, the Colts game was a really rough game for him. It was a rough game for every offensive lineman not named Taylor Decker. But other than that, I think he's held his own pretty darn well overall I mean I I really do think that especially I mean against the Vikings won 92.9 percent of his single block pass pass rushes and he's done he won over 90 percent against the Saints he's been over 80 percent against the Packers and against the Cardinals so I think you're liking a little bit of what you're seeing there And, and beyond that he's he's kind of getting there and winning and being attacking almost every week too. So I think that there's some value there. I mean, look at it this way. Only one week or sorry, two weeks has he straight up lost more than five pass blocks. And that was against the Falcons where he lost eight and in week one against the bears where he lost nine. Um, But other than that, I mean, he's been all right. Now, obviously the Colts, was a little bit of a different situation. But he also didn't play nearly as much because they sat him on the bench until Vitae got hurt. So that's why some of those numbers are a little bit scattershot as well. But, I mean, look at last week against Minnesota. 20 wins, 1 loss. Against the Saints, 19 wins, 2 losses. Against the Cardinals, 15 wins, 2 losses. Against the Packers, 22 wins, 3 losses. Like, that's not bad. You take that. Overall, I think the offensive line has played – decently well throughout the year flipping over to defense obviously this has not been nearly as pretty looking first at the defensive line I don't really know what the Lions are kind of doing here in some instances and we'll start with Trey Flowers because obviously Trey Flowers is on injured reserve now but they basically turned him into a situational pass rusher and, and you heard a little bit of this on the pod yesterday with Dave Burkett that they're taking their best all-around defensive lineman and taking him off the field. And I, I just don't understand why you're doing that. Maybe you're trying to maximize what he's able to do, but he's a pretty good run stopper. And I would rather him personally on the field than Nick Williams in in every way. So I, I don't really know what they're doing there. They've also been playing Trey Flowers inside a little bit more in pass rush situations. So I, it's just... I don't know. It's a little bit baffling. Now he's hurt, and the numbers just haven't been there this year. He's got a couple of sacks, but I mean, I still think he's a good player. I think he's a really good player. Uh, I'm just kind of confused with how they're using him. Romeo Aquara, however, has been a revelation, and Romeo Aquara is maybe playing himself in some pretty good money. He's obviously in a contract year now. It'll be interesting to see, frankly, what the Lions do with Romeo O'Quara when it comes time to make a decision on him. Now some of that will have to do with the regime and what the defense looks like and does he want to come back? Obviously his brother is here, so that would be I think a really enticing reason for him to return to Detroit. Detroit obviously now this would be Bob Quinn, so if Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are gone, then maybe that changes things, but Obviously, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia took a chance on him after the Giants cut him. And really, I mean, if you're the Lions right now and you look at the construction of your roster, I don't know how you cannot sign Romeo Aquara. Now, someone may try to really overpay him because pass rushers are valuable. He's possibly going to have double-digit sacks this year. And someone might really try to pay him big time. And at that point, if you're the Lions, you have to decide whoever's making those decisions— whether you want to pay him that money, especially with the money you've got tied up in Trey Flowers. But Romeo Carr is having a fantastic season. He's having a breakout season. He's single-handedly, in some instances, saved this Detroit Lions pass rush. I, I think that you, if you you can't really complain too much about what he's been doing. He's consistently getting in the backfield. He's consistently getting quarterback hits. He's consistently getting pressure. Are they massive, like Cam Jordan, you know, type numbers, Von Miller type numbers? No. And obviously I'm talking about like vintage players, the the vintage Cam Jordan, vintage Von Miller. No, but like you also shouldn't necessarily expect that from Romeo Aquara, but he's giving you really good stuff. He really is. He's, at times been unblockable for a sing, for a single coverage, and they've been putting some single coverage on him because of Trey Flowers, so he's been a benef- benefiting there. But he's winning the matchups that they're putting on him, and he's doing it consistently. Then there's the interior of the defensive line, and that has not been going nearly as well. Danny Shelton's been fine. He's been an okay run stopper. Uh, i think I think the Lions probably were hoping maybe a little bit more from him as a run stopper, as kind of a space eater. But I think he's been okay, largely. Uh, Nick Williams has been a disappointment, and we've talked about that a few different times on this podcast already. And I feel bad continually going back to that well. But it's true. Nick Williams just has not been producing how the Lions really paid him to produce and probably banked on him to produce because they were they were hoping that maybe Nick Williams really unlocked something last year in Chicago. I think they really, really were hoping that he did. And the truth is, as I think I said yesterday on the podcast, he basically had a George Johnson type year, a one-hit wonder type of year in Chicago last year. He got paid off of that. And through no fault, that's no fault to Nick Williams. Like Nick Williams did absolutely what he should do when it comes to that. Like that that was smart stuff by Nick Williams. But the Lions are the ones that are that are kind of paying the price for that because Nick Williams just isn't being able to give you. Sure, he dealt with injuries a little bit, but he just hasn't been able to give you what you've hoped for as a potential pass rushing interior lineman. He started seven games, he has no sacks. He, I believe he got his first quarterback hit last week against Minnesota, but I mean, you just look at the week over week stuff and it's just not there and it's just been rough. So I mean that that's part and that's part of the reason why the Lions have struggled creating pressure is they needed somebody on the interior of the defensive line to create that pressure and Nick Williams just hasn't been that guy consider this his pass rush win rate has been 10 percent last week 10 percent the week before 13.3 percent before that the week before that prior to that he had not won a single pass rush for three weeks like that's just not good his run stop win rate isn't great either 17.4 last week 30 he he was pretty good for a 2 week stretch against Atlanta and the Colts winning 36.8 against Atlanta 33.3% against the Colts but it's just not it's just not there man like it's just not not going great he's picked up a few tackles in each game so that's that's good but i mean i don't know you just look at that and i mean how how can you be happy with that with those numbers if you're the lions especially considering you you brought him in to be that consider this i mean when you look at his pass rush wins for his pass rush losses he has not had a single week where he's come close to 500 the last couple of weeks he's won one pass rush the week before that he went he won two against 13 losses like and listen uh, you know you're not going to win those more often than not but you're just not getting you're not getting enough out of it john penicini however Pretty good for a sixth-round pick. You you have to be happy if you're the Lions. He's not making massive plays, but he has stepped up. The Lions have been better as a run defense, or were at least for a two-week stretch when you started to put him in. I think maybe opposing offensive linemen are starting to get a little bit of a book on him, which you would expect, and I think that that's been part of the problem the last couple of weeks. Although Dalvin Cook obviously was also a large part of that problem last week, but for a sixth-round pick, you're starting to get more work out of him. You're starting to see flashes. You're starting to see things, frankly, I think you can develop, and that's that's good. I think he's a space eater that you can have in the future. Maybe he takes over for Danny Shelton next year. But again, who knows what this defense will look like next year? Who knows what defense they'll be running next year? So some of that, he his role could change completely a year from now, and maybe he's not even a fit, or maybe he fits in whatever it is even better if – the Lions do have a regime change. So all of those things are going to be really interesting to watch with him in the future. But what you've seen right now, I think as a sixth round pick, you can be happy with what you're getting out of him. Because six, day three picks, sixth rounders, seventh rounders, rounders—they're dart throws more than anything, if you can be successful and get you know, some production out of those guys, especially as rookies, that is a win. And that is a win every time. I don't care what some people tell you. And like, they're critical of day three of the draft. If you get production out of a sixth round pick and you get it as a rookie, you take it every time. Looking at the linebackers, that's, that's been, been a rough place. Oh, and by the way, before we jump in there, obviously there's not much as much we can say about Everson Griffin at this point, because he played one game. Uh, Obviously, talked a lot before that game about he wanted to show he was a great player, and frankly, didn't do all that much against Minnesota. Deshaun Hand has also, to me, largely been somebody who's just kind of been there. He hasn't really cashed in on what was an impressive rookie season before he got hurt, and then obviously last year was all injuries. This year has been, you know, hit and miss when it comes to injuries. But he just hasn't, like Nick Williams, you know, you maybe hoped you would get some some pass rush from him as well. And, and the Lions just really haven't gotten that as well. He also doesn't have any sacks. He does have a forced fumble, but it's just, it, it's been rough for Deshaun Hand this year, by and large, as I think that the Lions were hoping for more from him. This season, and it just it just hasn't been there, and you you hate saying that about about some of these guys, uh, but I mean it's just it's just the truth of it. I mean, you look at his pass rush win rate, and he's won fourteen point three percent against the Falcons, and that was it. A couple weeks where he's been around ten percent, four weeks where he hasn't won a single one. Like that's just not like that's just not good enough, really. So looking more at linebacker now. I mean, this is another area where it's been really rough. Jared Davis has basically turned into a rotational player at best. Obviously, he didn't play last week as he was on the COVID-19 reserve list. But you look at it, and I mean, at this point, you kind of know what you're going to get from him, how they're going to use him. He's going to be a pass rusher. You hope that he can maybe give you something in run defense. He's going to play situationally, and that's probably it. But he's been good in that situation, but you know he's always going to have that first-round pick, and, and this is just how you're using him. So that's a tough way to judge, but I think he's, he's playing better than he has in prior years because they've given him specific roles, and I think he's been able to handle that. Jamie Collins obviously was their big free agent signing. There have been times where he's looked really really good and made a lot of progress as a defender and has really helped this defense but there have been times where it's just not gone well. Obviously week 1 he gets thrown out of the game and as a vet you just can't do what he did whether you know he meant to do it or not still I mean that set the t- that changed week 1 for the Lions and and you have to wonder if Jamie Collins was out there if the Lions would have won that game and that maybe changes the entire tone of how things go in that first month of the season. And you're maybe having a different conversation right now. Not to blame all that on Jamie Collins, but like you just can't do what Jamie Collins did. They're not getting enough pass rush from those guys, but also they're not blitzing them a ton. You know, Jamie, I think Jamie Collins has been the best of the linebackers. Um, I think it's probably not even been close, frankly. But the, just the consistency hasn't been there week in, week out, from what you need for a guy who, who you're counting on to be kind of your top linebacker, your most versatile linebacker. Christian Jones, he's just, frankly, he's he's what he is. And we all kind of know that at this point. Like, you know what you're getting out of him. You know what to expect from him. And he's basically giving you that. He's, he's an average defender. And he's not going to make a ton of massive plays. He's going to not make a ton of mistakes. And that's pretty much what he's doing. Um you know, Reggie Ragland... He's playing okay when they've put him in. They're starting to use him, it seems, a little bit more week over week. And they're using him in a couple of different roles. So that's been, I think, pretty good. I mean, largely, he's been in around 50% of the snaps. He did play 69% against the Colts. Uh, But again, much like everyone else, he hasn't made many splash plays. He's got a sack. He's got a couple of tackles for loss. He's got a couple of quarterback hits. But but that's largely it. I mean, and you're just not getting a ton there. Jelani Tavai is the other linebacker, and I mean, honestly, it just hasn't really been going great for Tavai. Now, he's he's been all over the place as far as defensive snaps goes. They were playing him a ton early in the season, 78%, 81%, 89%. Since then, he's been at 50% or less in every game, really, since week four against New Orleans. And, you know, I mean, again... No sacks, 22 tackles, one quarterback hit. It seems like he's out of position a lot. It seems like sometimes he knows where he's going needs to be, or and he just can't get there because the speed isn't there. Uh, I, I still think he can develop, but you know, you're, you're trying to figure out how they're using him and what and what they're trying to do, and it's just again not just it hasn't been great, man. Uh, and nowhere on their linebacker core, and that's on Bob Quinn and that's on Matt Patricia because they both. Explain how important linebackers are that you're just not getting a ton, and that's that's a big, big problem. And granted, they're playing fewer linebackers; they're playing more more nickel, more three safety. But you know, it's just it's been rough. Now, by the way, just for Jamie Collins' say, for Jamie Collins' sake, he does have a sack. He's got four tackles for loss, three quarterback hits, th- you know, three passes defended. But he, he hasn't really forced any fumbles or anything like that uh he does have an interception so you know I mean he's been doing some things but it just frankly hasn't been enough looking now at the corners uh we'll start with Desmond Trufant it's really tough to judge him because he's barely played I thought he played well against Minnesota which was his first sustained action of the season so maybe there's something to build on there Amani Awarie to me has been their best defensive back now Obviously, he doesn't have any interceptions, but he's got five passes defended. He's, I think, largely, he struggled a little bit against Minnesota, but he was thrown in a bad spot where clearly they weren't necessarily going to play him all that much. And then he pops in in the second half after Jeff Okuda gets hurt. And, and that's a tough matchup to go, you know, Justin Jefferson right away. Um, but he's largely been okay. He's frankly what I thought he would be this year, which is a solid number two cornerback. And at times he's played as their number one when Trufant was hurt, but he's been a solid number two. Now the question is, is how much is he going to play and when is he going to play now that, that Desmond Trufant is back? Then there's Jeff Okuda, the number three overall pick. This again is also what, frankly, I expected from Jeff Okuda this year. You know, parts of the game where he's played really, really well. He's got an interception. He's got a couple passes defended. He's largely drawn the top receiver, whether it was DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams. They had him trailing Justin Jefferson, who's a standout rookie on the Vikings, while Desmond Trufant has basically hand, basically handled Adam Thielen. So you look at those things and you say, well, all right, they're trusting him with a lot, but it's going to expose him a lot as he's learning. He didn't have the preseason. He didn't have the spring. I know some of this sounds like excuses, but it's just true. Anything that you're seeing out of Jeff Okuda that you didn't expect would actually happen. You were just kind of, I think, hoping. Hoping maybe a little too much that that he was going to maybe give you something amazing right out of the gate. And I know you're hoping for that out of a number three overall pick, but I would just say I'll preach this over and over. Give it time with Jeff Okuda. Daryl Roberts was fine when he was in, you know, replacement level guy uh, for Justin Coleman. Justin Coleman obviously missed a few games with a hamstring injury, missed a lot of games. Since he's come back, he's been largely fine. He's got a pass defended, but he's still only played in three games, got seven tackles. So hasn't done a ton, so it's tough to judge him too much. Looking at safety now. Deron Harmon is what I think the Lions had hoped when they traded for him. He's got four passes defended. He's got a couple picks. He's done a really good job at reading the deep stuff. The Lions haven't been beat deep all that much, and I I credit Deron Harmon to that. I think he's played a really good center field. He's got great closing speed, especially on kind of outside routes, and, and that was something we saw even in training camp. He's a leader on this defense. He takes a lot of responsibility for stuff. I think if you're the Lions and you're looking at what you got out of Deron Harmon when you traded for him, like this is exactly what Matt Patricia wanted and just some of the other pieces just haven't been been working, but he is a piece that frankly I think has been working and has been playing well. Tracy Walker been a bit hit and miss and y'all know I'm really high on Tracy Walker. He's got four passes defended, he's second on the team with 51 tackles. He's got a quarterback hit. Uh, you know, he's he's done a pretty good job pressuring the quarterback. But He's been struggling in coverage. There have been coverage issues with him this year. They've moved him around. Obviously, they were. They, I still don't know what they were really trying to do with him early in the year when they were kind of playing with Will Harris and really kind of, kind of messing around there. Pro Football Reference has him with 111 passer rating against. He's given up three touchdowns. He's allowed a 58.6 completion percentage. He's also blitzed fourteen times. So like there's there's been some improvement there in the pass coverage aspect of it. Uh I think that he's maybe not quite there where we thought he might be from a pass coverage perspective and covering tight ends, covering running backs. But, you know, I, I still think he's a good player and I think he's somebody you can build around. Uh I just I do wonder kind of what that training camp situation maybe did and, and kind of Hurt his chemistry maybe with Deron Harmon a little bit, and you know you kind of see maybe where it it is, and now he's injured as well. But he had 11 tackles against Indianapolis. He's had at least five tackles in every game but one, and he's starting to be a guy that they're putting on the field every snap, which frankly should happen. Will Harris, I mean, I, I don't again, I don't know what they were doing with him early on. I don't know why they were playing him over Tracy Walker. It, it, I know they say packages, 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 but just wasn't working. He's basically largely been phased out of the defense at this point. It just wasn't working for Will Harris. He's a really nice kid. I think he's a really good special teams player, but I mean, allowing 60% completions, 105.8 passer rating. Again, this is from pro football reference and it's just not, I, I just don't think it's worked all that well for him. J Ron curse. Then this is really when J. Ron Curse came back is when we saw Will Harris's snaps really start to go down. I think Jaron Ron Curse has largely been pretty good. You know, I mean, he he's a bigger body defender. He's a box safety. You don't really want him in coverage, frankly, although he's only, I mean, given up 44.4% completion, completion percentage. But he's only been targeted nine times. Like, you, you don't really want him in coverage. You want him in there... As a bigger guy who can maybe give you some run support and maybe handle like the short the short coverage stuff. And I think largely that's what he's been doing and that's what he's been doing well. And to me that that's a win for the Lions. Uh if you were looking at J. Ron Kearse, I think that ended up being a pretty good signing for them for the role that he is in, because this is exactly the role that really I think you could have envisioned him in. At the start of the season, I do want to come back quickly to cornerbacks just to kind of go through a couple of other numbers. Jeff Okuda allowing seventy-three point three percent completions against him, which obviously isn't great. He's allowed two touchdowns, one hundred and eleven point seven quarterback rating against him, which is you know not good at all. But again, from a rookie, I don't think that you can really expect much less at this point, especially with some of the receivers he's been up against. Amani Awarie, on the other hand, as I was kind of touting him, 79.4 quarterback rating against 51.2 completion percentage. But you look at what Awarie did as a rookie, and granted, you know, fifth-round pick versus first-round pick, but Awarie, 76% completion percentage against 107 quarterback rating against three touchdowns, and he played far fewer games. He only started two games and played in nine. So understand, he had the benefit of watching first and also – was thrown in more later in the season. So just to make a comparison there, look, I mean, this is just the reality of rookie cornerbacks. They're going to struggle. We're going to quickly hit on special teams, and then we will get out of here. I know we said that we'd get to a couple of questions today, uh, but this podcast has kind of run a little bit long, so we might just kind of hit on all of them maybe tomorrow, and I apologize about that. But special teams really quick. There's not much to say about Jack Fox. Great find. Great find best punter in the NFL, potentially might be a, a pro bowler this year, might be an all pro punter, might set rec punting records. Nothing else you can really say about him there. He's been really good. Jamal Agnew is a returner. He's been fine. You know, not, not anything truly, truly special this year, but he's been giving them what, what they need. And, and listen, punt returns for touchdowns, kick returns for touchdowns. Sometimes they'll come in bunches. And frankly, sometimes are also such a key of your blocking. I think coverage units have largely been really good on special teams. Uh, I think protection units have been largely good. Don Muehlbach, I think, has been okay, but I can't judge long snapping, so I just kind of give that a pass. Matt Prater, we all know he's been struggling. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the last two weeks, his missed field goals have been bad kicks. Braden Combs has admitted that. Everything else he's missed has been from deep. Uh, usually, he's been spot on, and I think that Part of it too is that people have just been so used to that and frankly taken advantage of that so much that they've expected him to be that good. And that's part of the problem is that when he's maybe coming back a little bit to the mean, which you worry about, you know, people start myself included, start asking questions of like, Well, what's really going on with him? Prater hasn't talked to the media in a while, but you know, that's not necessarily on Matt Prater. Uh and yeah, I mean, as far as coaching goes, by the way. I mean, it's tough to evaluate coaching. I think we, we do it all the time on this podcast, so I, I don't know if I want to go too deep into it right now. Offensive coaching has been scattershot. Defensive coaching's just been poor almost all around. Uh, and special teams coaching has been largely really, really good, and I think they found a real potential star in, in Brayden. And uh, I've said that over and over on this podcast. So I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I will take one question here and then we will wrap it up today from Chris Marble. Who's at real Chris Marble, which is I've been saying Patricia should have been fired after the embarrassment against the Jets in 2018. I mean, listen, that was only one game. That's me adding that. Can you at least confirm that my instincts were correct? I've never seen a team quit that soon on a head coaching hire. Also, <laughs> And then he asked why Kent Lee Platt, who's at math bomb on Twitter, was answering all the questions. Obviously he said he was kind of bored and wants to just talk football, which sure. And, I have all the respect in the world for Kent and what he does at, from a statistical standpoint and a number standpoint, especially around draft season. Some of his athletic scores, you should check them out, the RAS stuff. It's brilliant stuff. Uh, I love using it. It it helps me kind of look at prospects in a different way. He and I have had massive conversations about different positions in the past. All the respect in the world for Kent. That said, to the question, I don't think they should have fired him then. I mean, come on. Like, that's uh, – I <laughs> It was one bad game, and you, they did go 6-10, and 10 and you kind of knew that was going to be some sort of rebuilding year, although obviously way worse than what they had initially led on, and it's obviously, obviously led to worse things. We all know about the 2018 debacle. On the field, off the field, everything was bad for Matt Patricia in 2018. There's no way he should have been fired after one game, but if you thought there were questions after that first game and, and concerns, you were absolutely justified and absolutely right because you're seeing it pan out now. So, that to me was a major concern. Then should absolutely be a major should should have been a major concern at that point. But you know it's tough to take that small sample size of one game. I think that's way too harsh. But I think what you're seeing now is that some of those things you just saw early on in that first training camp, in that first season, in that first game, are still kind of the same concerns you have now, and that is a major problem. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Check out the sponsors, Bet Online, and indeed, please feel free to give us a five star review. We'll be back tomorrow with John Keim and with the rest of your questions, or at least some more of your questions. Sorry I didn't get to them all today. I kind of rambled on a little bit. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow.